Hello, everyone. Welcome. Guys, thank you all so much for just that time of worship. Um, guys, welcome to Reengage. And I'll tell you what, uh, Christians, we are, we are funny people um, as we um, sing songs uh, to, to a God. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to know that you are welcome here. And, and hopefully, as you're just hearing the words or reading them on the screens, um, that you're seeing uh, what, what we believe is true. And, and for those who are believers, as you're either singing those words or listening to them, you're being reminded of where hope can be found. And I want you to know, I'm just, I'm just another guy um, who causes a lot of brokenness in my own life and in my marriage. Um, you know, have made my wife cry this last week. It's not something I'm proud of, but I'm an idiot at times. And, and one of the things, just listening to that song, I'm reminded that there is, there is healing, there is forgiveness, there is hope because of Jesus. And I love that as that song started, it said, you know, are, are you broken? Are you weary? Um, are you overwhelmed by the weight of just your world that you're living in right now? Then Come. And just want you to know that whether in your marriage or in your life, you're at a place of just extreme brokenness and kind of figuring, like, where in the world are we going to go to, to fix this mess? Or you're in a place where things are good and you're just wanting to excel still more. You're wanting to say, okay, what's that next step for us to experience more of this life that our God wants us to experience? You are in a great place. And we're so glad you're here. And re-engage is a great place wherever you are on that spectrum of just kind of brokenness or just wanting to go from good uh, to a whole lot better um, of just experiencing that. And and there's a lot of people, um, you know, as you come in um, and then as you're in groups, like people who are wearing these name badges, like we're not healed. We're still on this journey with you. um, But we can share with you a story um, of all on that spectrum of how God continues to show himself faithful to offer us something better. And so, my name is Ryan Nixon. I get the opportunity to serve with Reengage, and we're glad you're here with us tonight. Um, and just a joy for me to introduce to you some of my friends that are going to share with you uh, some of their journey of uh, just experiencing God's grace and kindness. And so, please welcome Nate and Michelle Ball. Why don't you come on up here? I remember the first time we did this, I wore high heels. That was a mistake. Trying to walk across the stage. I did not wear high heels. I'm very comfortable. All right. Hi, everyone. Let's get this started. My name name is Nate Ball, uh, and this is my wife, Michelle. We've been married for 11 years now, and we have two kids in a picture. Yeah, there they are. So that's uh, Graham. He's our six-year-old son. And that's the wee baby Grace in the green pants. She's uh, three. Um, though I was raised in a Christian environment, I was baptized at the age of seven. I would say that for most of my life, I never truly understood what it meant to follow Christ. My parents divorced when I was five years old, and that event planted seeds of loneliness, abandonment, and low self-esteem in my life. Even at that young age, I recognized that my family was broken. I was afraid it would never be made whole, and I felt it was somehow partially my fault. And all of that made me feel different from other kids. When my mom eventually remarried, uh, those feelings manifested as anger as anger and bitterness towards my stepfather, um, because I realized that that was the end for my mom and dad. As a result of my mom's marriage and my stepfather's work roles, we moved around a lot during my middle and high school years. And since I already tended to be a shy and reserved kid, the frequent moves led to even more isolation and loneliness. 
That isolation sparked and then intensified an addiction to pornography, which I was exposed to at a young age. And that habit, pardon me, habit continued to grow through high school and college and well into my marriage. Despite all of that, uh, people considered me, quote, a good kid. And I worked very hard to project and maintain that image uh, as well as people's approval. In a very twisted way, I craved that approval to offset the guilt and shame I felt about myself. Uh, So I made good grades, I never got into trouble, and was active at my parents' church. It was mostly a facade, uh, but I wrongly thought that it worked okay at the time. (laughs) Regardless, uh, it was this church activity and a family connection that led me to a discipleship training opportunity as a senior in high school, and on that trip, I met her. Like Nate, I also grew up in a Christian home, and I accepted who Christ was at a young age without truly knowing what it meant to have a relationship with him and give him control of my life. Church was a big part of my childhood, and our small church body was like extended family. Throughout my childhood, my parents were very loving and encouraging, but they unwittingly placed a lot of pressure on me um, for perfection. They would say that I was like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way, which made me wince later on knowing how imperfect I actually was. My perception that they had high expectations for school performance and behavior, in part, led to struggles with people-pleasing and pride. As a teenager, I thought I was humble and well-behaved compared to my peers, Um, but truly I just enjoyed the praise that I um, received during involvement with sports, drama, music ministry, and youth leadership. These activities through school and church made me appear like a good Christian girl, but everything was for my glory, not God's. I sought the spotlight and craved attention from others, especially boys. When I was 17, I went on a three-week-long discipleship trip to Europe where I met Nate. This was us at 17, on a train, drinking hot chocolate. That was so so cool. Um, At the time, I already had a boyfriend, but Nate and I remained friends into college. I continued to date around, uh, but eventually I realized that Nate was the one I didn't want to live without. So we started dating. (laughs) Our colleges were about eight hours away, um, and our long-distance relationship was not necessarily a healthy one. When we were together, we would push physical boundaries, and while apart, we communicated frequently, but poorly. I wanted an engagement sooner rather than later, since my ideal was to be married by age 21. But Nate showed no signs of making that commitment. At the time, I didn't realize it, but when things don't go my way, I have a tendency to jump ship and pursue the next thing, rather than being patient and waiting on the Lord's plan. Our unhealthy relationship and my unmet expectations, coupled with a non-existent walk with the Lord, led me to seek fulfillment through partying and eventually a physical relationship with another man. These poor choices quickly left me feeling guilty and undeserving of Nate, and I almost hoped that confessing to him would sever our relationship so that the guilt would just go away. Life was falling apart as I lived in my flesh rather than following the Lord. Uh, And so when I found out, I was devastated. Uh, I had no active faith or relationship with the Lord, and I'd let my relationship with Michelle become the thing that defined me. So simply put, she had become my idol. The potential end of that relationship brought back old feelings of anger and bitterness and abandonment that I'd really just been trying to avoid since I was a kid and my parents divorced. 
uh, I saw another person in my life who said they loved me and now wanted to leave me. Additionally, my low self-esteem kicked in and I felt physically inadequate and that she no longer found me attractive. But above all, I felt lost and without direction because I was solely relying on that relationship to provide it for me. Uh, So in that moment, uh, I remembered that I had been taught in church uh, as a teenager what to do when you felt lost. And so I prayed for the first time in years. I even opened my Bible and I skimmed through it with the help of some Google searches and I learned that God commands us to forgive one another. Um, I didn't know how to do that, or I didn't really even want to, um, but that's what the Bible said I do. So clumsily and begrudgingly, I said the words, I forgive you. And after that, I stopped praying, put my Bible back in the closet to collect more dust. Michelle and I never addressed any of the hurt I felt. I ignored it because I thought that's what men were supposed to do. I wrongly assumed that time would heal the wounds and that I had forgiven, so I eventually would forget So we continued to get to date. Mission accomplished, right? Within six months, we were engaged, and then we got married in October of 2007. I had just started graduate school, and so academics quickly replaced my relationship with Michelle as my primary idol. I spent our first summer as a married couple away in another country doing research, and after my return to school, uh, I used school as an excuse to avoid Michelle and any meaningful involvement in the church that she attended. It's fair to say that I had no concept of how to be a loving husband or a spiritual leader. And so when I finished school, I needed a new idol, and I shifted to my new career. So I took a job here in Dallas, and we moved actually just down the street here from the church. As Nate touched on, our early marriage was largely separate. Um, We may have lived under the same roof and shared most of our meals, but we did not have spiritual or emotional intimacy. My pattern of pride and seeking attention from others continued as I became involved with a local church as well as um, starting a new job. The story was the same as where I grew up. At church, my ego was stoked by people complimenting my singing and asking me to help with youth drama. At work, I proved my versatility and dependability, and any praise I received still made me feel like I was somehow better than others. When Nate's career brought us to Dallas, my employer convinced me to transfer to their office here, which I did simply because I liked being favored by the managers. We both had work to fill our time here in Dallas, but because of our upbringing, we still felt compelled to join a church, even though our walks with the Lord weren't active at the time. Eventually, we were drawn to Watermark and quickly got involved in community, where we continued to go through the motions while hiding our sin patterns. Nate and I disagreed about when to start having kids, which didn't fit with my four-year plan. I had always wanted to have our first child within three to four years of marriage. Knowing my expectations regarding our first child would be unmet made me feel powerless and like Nate didn't care about my desires. Since I was emotionally vulnerable and wasn't seeking the Lord's guidance, my tendency to flirt and seek attention led to an emotional affair with a coworker. Like the last time, I eventually felt guilt and shame. But this time there was something new, a very deep hunger for change. I finally ended the work affair. Tired of repeating the same cycles and wanting to be free from it, I cried out to God and begged forgiveness. Over the next couple of years, I began pursuing the Lord again. But this time I was not simply checking an item off of a to-do list. Through church community, scripture memory, and focused Bible study, I came to truly know God's character and his desire to have an intimate relationship with me. I began to find my worth in how he loves me, not in how others make me feel. 
Whereas I used to live in fear of my recurring sins, I now knew in my heart that I was a new creature, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me. The old me had passed, and the new me, which is only Christ in me, had come. I was not that person anymore. During this process where the Lord was drawing me closer, Nate gave in on starting a family. We had Graham in 2012, at which point I quit my job to stay at home with him. One day I was spending time in the Word and read Matthew 5, 23, and 24. If, therefore, you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. The Spirit showed me through that scripture that my pursuit of the Lord could not continue to grow unless I was reconciled to my husband. Nate didn't even know about my indiscretions with the coworker that had happened two years before that, but I knew I needed to confess. It terrified me. Without giving details, I begged my community group girls for prayer that this confession to Nate would be healing. That evening, I laid my shame out for Nate to see, just praying that he could forgive me. Uh, and so, uh, when I found out, I was devastated. Now there's a pattern. Uh, I had not addressed my anger, my bitterness, my fear of abandonment, unhealthy body image the first time it happened, and so I was overcome with the weight of those same emotions again. Turns out the old saying, forgive and forget, isn't really true. Like before, I was completely blindsided by the news, but when I look back on it now, I realize um, that the unfaithfulness ran both ways. It just looked different on my end. I'd landed a great job out of school, and my full attention was on working hard to impress coworkers and bosses. My marriage took a backseat to my job, and my, quote, faith was nothing more than attending church on Sundays and trying to figure out ways to avoid the community group that we had joined. Uh, the frequent job, or sorry, the job required frequent travel to some very remote places, uh, which I enjoyed because it meant I could unplug from my marriage and forget about being a husband for a few days. With the increase in travel came an increase in my consumption of pornography, as at the time, it seemed like a harmless way to pass hours in a hotel room, and I fully believed the lie that my behavior wasn't hurting Michelle or our marriage. I became so caught up in myself and in pursuing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted it that I was literally blind to the way the Lord was changing my wife's heart. Uh, I watched her read her Bible and journal and pray, but I was so focused on myself I lost, there we go, that I didn't even register in my mind that the faith that I claim to have should be causing me to do the same things as well. So when Michelle explained to me why she was confessing, I could see that something had changed in her. And I also knew that unless I got serious about our marriage, the anger and bitterness that I couldn't shake off on my own strength would ruin the little bit of relationship that we had left. So at Michelle's suggestion, and with our community group in tow, uh, the one that I tried to avoid, we ended up here at Reengage a few weeks later. And it took some time, but over the next few months, uh, the Lord graciously revealed some pretty hard truths to me. Uh, first and foremost was that the biggest problem in my marriage wasn't Michelle seeking attention from other men, but my own pride and selfishness. Now, those feelings of abandonment, anger, and bitterness existed because I put faith in things other than the Lord. My addiction to pornography was a futile attempt to find pleasure and satisfaction apart from God. And additionally, the only way to fix the problem was with God's help. And to do that would require a much, much deeper relationship with him than I currently had at the time. So I began spending time in his word, and I learned what true forgiveness looked like, and how my anger and bitterness towards Michelle 
were signs that even though I had said that I had forgiven her, I really hadn't. So for two years, I had been adamant that I didn't want a second child. And as I learned about how God has forgiven me, I realized what I was actually doing was holding that second child over her head as punishment for the way that she had hurt me. It was the only weapon I felt that I had, and I was using it uh, frequently. And in that moment, I knew that not only did I need to truly forgive my wife, but I needed to confess to her my behavior, so my anger, my bitterness, my pornography use. Additionally, I had to ask her forgiveness for all of that because it was hurting her too. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When the Lord convicted me that I needed to confess to Nate, I had no expectations that he would in turn be convicted of any wrongdoing. I knew that I was the one who messed up. However, when I confessed, he immediately said he knew he had not been the leader that I needed and had not loved me well. It was not an excuse for my behavior at all, but he was owning at least some of his part before we even set foot and re-engage. He took the first step toward healing by encouraging me that we should bring our community group in on the details of our struggle. Fear had always held us back from sharing 100%, but when we told our group, they loved us as only Christ followers can, unconditionally. It was with their support that we decided to walk through re-engage. Once we started the process of truly drawing the circle around ourselves, the Lord continued to reveal our tendencies to be selfish and prideful. We also were terrible at communicating. Both of us had unvoiced and therefore unmet expectations, which in part fed our sin struggles. We were not serving each other as Christ would have us do, so we were running to other outlets to be served. Seeing Nate pursue the Lord was a desire I didn't even know I had until he started engaging in the material and initiating conversation every week. The discussion we had about forgiveness was difficult. It broke my heart when Nate said he didn't want a second child, but through that discussion, I realized that I needed to change my prayers. Rather than asking the Lord to change Nate's mind, I needed him to change my heart so that I found my satisfaction in him alone rather than in my own plan for having more children. It was a long process, but the Lord changed both of our hearts. To Nate's surprise and my delight, we ended up having our daughter Grace. The fact that we had her at all is proof that he softened hearts through the process of forgiveness and reconciliation. The fact that it was much later than I wanted was proof that the Lord's timing is perfect and he knows what is best for me. Nate and I still don't have it all figured out. We still have to be intentional to communicate clearly and lovingly with each other, especially regarding expectations. However, with the Lord's grace, we are learning to humbly confess to each other when we stumble. We are also both quick to ask for and extend forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. Because communicating expectations has been difficult for us, we now do it regularly to make sure we're on the same page. Our conversations do wonders to minimize conflict throughout the week because they give us each the opportunity to serve each other well. Since I tend to be prideful and selfish, serving my husband does not come easily, but the Lord is teaching me to rely on his strength rather than my own. So as for me, the Lord continues to show me how to lead Michelle in humility and to trust in him for wisdom. 
And to this end, one opportunity that he lays before us is actually serving together in marriage ministry like this, uh, which is incredibly unifying um, and actually been a tremendous source of blessing for both Michelle and I. Uh, We constantly need the reminders of God's grace, forgiveness, and love towards us that we get through watching him change the lives of people uh, in this room, just like y'all. And if we could leave you with just a little bit of encouragement tonight, it would be Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, uh, which is a verse I heard in church growing up all the time, actually, but I'm, I'm just now starting to finally learn what it means, I think. And it says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I read that now, uh, and I know that he wants our marriage and yours as well, uh, not just to coast, but to flourish. And that process starts when we call out to him. And he promises that when we do, he hears us, and that when we seek him, we will find him. So Michelle and I are proof that the Lord keeps his promises, and I'm confident that those same promises are true for y'all tonight as well. So thanks for letting us share. Man, Nate and Michelle, thank you guys so much for sharing your story. And just love as you ended right there, just that reminder that there is a God who created you, who loves you, and wants you to experience life. Um, I love the promise in the Psalm, Psalm 16, that in God's presence is the fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like God is the one who created joy, pleasure, happiness, peace, contentment, and he wants it far more than we'll ever desire it. Even though you want your marriage to get better, like he wants your marriage to be better far more than you'll ever hope that it would be. And it's just, are we willing to surrender towards his plan, towards experiencing that joy and that peace and contentment? And it takes two individuals who kind of surrender that move back towards that place. And one of the things too that I love, I wrote down, is unfaithfulness went both ways. And, and typically, if we were kind of had a camera on our marriage, you know, one person owns more percentage of kind of the unfaithfulness. You know, if you look at the situation, the argument, um, maybe the last 10 years, like one person owns uh, a higher percentage. But one of the things we have to remember is that the unfaithfulness is always both ways. Like until we're on the other side of glory, um, our unfaithfulness to God and our unfaithfulness to us, our spouse is going to continue to be there. And for us, it's asking the question, what has my unfaithfulness to God and my spouse looked like this week? And then for me, how can I draw a circle around myself and focus my energy on changing the unfaithfulness within me and the ways that I'm not loving my spouse, the way that I promised that I would, um, you know, that is kind and patient. Um, and then for me to continue to strive to be the spouse that God wants me to be. Um, because when, when, again, when two individuals surrender themselves to do that, great things happen. And again, God wants you to experience those great things. And it's just, are you willing to surrender, uh, focus on your part, and take your next step towards faithfulness. And in one of those next steps um, is being here at Reengage. And so we're so glad, whether it's for kind of week 16 or week one, that you've trusted somebody uh, just with your Wednesday night and you've trusted us to kind of continue coming back. I'd encourage you just look at that next step of faithfulness and just take it. And then don't worry about what's going to happen three months from now, but just continue to take your next step of faithfulness.